I have to put you on to Armoire, the convenient solution to effortless, fresh, and stylish dressing. With an Armoire membership, you can curate the perfect wardrobe with high-quality, unique brands tailored specifically to your taste. Simply take a five-minute style quiz, select items from your personalized closet, then your chosen styles arrive at your doorstep in as little as two days. When it's time for a wardrobe refresh, just swap out your current pieces for new-to-you styles. I go from professional to the carpool pickup line, so I need a diverse wardrobe. With Armoire, I always have something fresh and on-trend for any occasion, without the clutter. I recently edited my wardrobe to staple pieces only because Armoire allows me to add new pieces monthly and return them just in time for me to do it all over again. And by renting, rather than constantly buying new clothes, I'm contributing to sustainability. Armoire is currently helping me through my chic era with all the high fashion and edgy options that I am loving. And the empowering aspect of supporting a women-founded and women-led business is so cool. With their personalized styling suggestions and diverse designer offerings, Armoire has helped me define and refine my personal style, even as trends evolve and my body changes. Whether it's a date night, a professional event, a formal affair, or just a trip to the grocery store, Armoire ensures that I am always dressed to impress effortlessly. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash murderish. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash murderish to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. The opinions expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Murderish podcast. Sensitive topics are discussed. Listener discretion is advised. Hey, Ishers, it's Jamie. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Murderish. I want to say a big thank you to Megan E., Dave O., and Carson E. for becoming Patreon supporters. I appreciate you guys very much. Check your mailboxes soon for a little something from me. As you guys know, I love recommending new podcasts for you to binge. Stick around at the very end of this episode to hear a promo for a new podcast called Missing Persons, which is hosted by my friend Morph. Now, let's get into today's case. When driving through an upscale town passing mansion after mansion, it's hard to imagine that anything nefarious would happen there. In one posh town, however, the badly decomposed body of a man would be discovered in a remote field. Investigators immediately began working to find out who would have wanted the young father of two dead. Join me as I walk you through a case involving murder victim Keith Green, whose case drew national attention. takes us to the posh town of Hillsborough, California, located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Northern California's San Mateo County. Hillsborough is not your average town. Elaborate mansions make up most of the real estate in Hillsborough, where the average home costs about $2 million. With an average household income of almost a quarter million dollars, residents enjoy some of the most highly ranked public schools and a low occurrence of crime. With its ideal climate and lush surroundings, many notable people have called Hillsborough home. Jenny Craig, known for her hugely successful weight loss company, has a home in the town. Amongst her neighbors are comedian Jimmy Kimmel, actress Alicia Silverstone, and professional baseball player Andre Ethier. Bing Crosby, famed dancer and singer, also called Hillsborough home at one time. On May 11th of 2016, members of a homeless outreach group were in a field in Sonoma County off of Highway 101 
about 70 miles north of San Francisco, members of the group came upon the naked body of a man who was badly decomposed and only wearing black socks. It was evident that the man's body had been out in the elements for some time and that animals had begun to eat portions of his body. Members of the outreach group contacted the Sonoma County Sheriff's Office to report their grisly discovery. Sheriffs arrived quickly and protected the scene with yellow tape. Due to advanced decomposition and exposure to the outdoor elements, identifying the body proved to be difficult. Through dental records, however, the body was identified as being 27-year-old Keith Green. Twelve days prior to his body being found, Green had been reported missing by his friend and roommate, Angela Dunn. Dunn had last seen Green on April 28th, and when he wasn't home 24 hours later, she reported him missing to the San Mateo County Sheriff's Office. On that same day, about a 45-minute drive away from San Mateo County, a hiker found a cell phone in Golden Gate Park in San Francisco, which he turned in to authorities. Not long after it was found, the cell phone was determined to belong to Keith Green. Upon learning the news that Green was found dead, friends and loved ones were crushed. Many of his friends and family members said that he was a great father who loved his two daughters. They said Green had a very bright future as a chef and was working hard to provide a good life for his girls, who were four and one-year-old at the time of his death. According to a 2016 Inquisitor.com article, a friend of Green's said, not only was he going to school, but Keith was trying to make ends meet by working two jobs and was active in his daughter's lives, with the ultimate goal of getting a place where they could all live together. Although Green's death was shocking to many, it turned out that some people had a feeling something bad may happen to him. Green had previously hired an attorney to assist him with a legal matter. According to a 2016 ABC7news.com article, the attorney, named Mitri Hanania, said after he went missing, I was concerned. I had a hunch what might have happened. After representing Green in that legal case, Hananiah believed that he may be in danger. If you're like me, waiting in lines and dealing with crowds is a hard pass. Do yourself a favor and sign up for a Stamps.com account and literally bring the post office to you. With Stamps.com, you can print the exact amount of postage you need using the digital scale that comes free with your new Stamps.com account. No more sticking a million stamps on one package to make sure you don't get the dreaded return to sender notice. In your jammies, you can print US postage for any letter or package and send it anywhere. When ready, just leave the package on your doorstep and schedule a free pickup with your mail carrier. Or just leave it in your mailbox. And here's a bonus. With your Stamps.com account, you get discounts like $0.05 cents off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off of USPS shipping rates. As if that wasn't enough, Stamps.com now offers the ability for you to ship with UPS and get great discounts. I recently created a Stamps.com account and it's going to come in so handy when I ship out merch packages to murderish Patreon subscribers, and I won't even have to interact with humans. Right now, my listeners can get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Murderish. That's Stamps.com, enter Murderish. Stay safe, my friends. I recently found a more convenient way to get counseling. BetterHelp Online Counseling offers licensed counselors who specialize in issues such as depression, anxiety, relationships, anger, family conflicts, and LGBTQ matters. The best part is that you can connect with your counselor from the comfort of your own home. And of course, anything you share is confidential. BetterHelp makes counseling so easy and convenient. You can do secure phone sessions or chat with your counselor by text. If you want to switch counselors for any reason, you can do so at no charge. 
BetterHelp is a convenient and affordable option for anyone seeking counseling. Murderish listeners can get 10% off your first month of counseling by going to betterhelp.com slash murderish and entering promo code murderish. That's betterhelp.com slash murderish and use promo code murderish for 10% off your first month. Dr. Jay Chapman, a pathologist with the Sonoma County Coroner's Office, conducted an autopsy on Green's body. Chapman found it difficult to determine his cause and time of death given the animal activity that had taken place and the advanced decomposition. Ultimately, Dr. Chapman concluded that Green's manner of death was homicide and the cause of death was a single gunshot wound in his mouth. The bullet made its way through his neck, severing his spinal cord and killing him immediately. Dr. Chapman noted in his report that Green's front tooth had been chipped, indicating that his killer forced the gun inside of his mouth right before he shot him. Keith Cameron Green, born on July 19, 1988, was raised in a working-class community in San Mateo County, California. His parents, Brian Green and Colleen Cudd, divorced when he was just a young boy. After the divorce, Green, along with his brother Julian and his sister Mariah, lived with their mother in San Mateo. As a child, Green attended Aragon High School, where he played baseball, tennis, basketball, and football. He was a talented athlete, earning a partial football scholarship at Eastern Washington University. After a year at the university, Green dropped out of school, never to finish college. He was popular with his peers and very likable. As an adolescent, Green ran into some legal trouble for fraud and theft. After the time of his death, however, Green seemed to have gotten back on track and was attending Le Cordon Bleu College of Culinary Arts in San Francisco. In 2009, Green, 21 years old at the time, met and began dating a woman named Tiffany Lee, who was 23. After a brief courtship, the couple moved into Lee's apartment. Shortly after that, they moved into a $7 million home in Hillsborough, which was owned by Lee's mother, Jihong Lee. Lee's mother had accumulated significant wealth from real estate investments. Three years after they met, Green and Lee had their first child together, a baby girl whom they named Vivian. Two years later, they had their second child, another baby girl named Naya. Green and Lee remained in a relationship for six years, but never got married. Their relationship came to an end when Green discovered that Lee was cheating on him with his friend, Kaveh Bayette. Ironically, Green had been the one who introduced Bayette to Lee. Due to the infidelity, the breakup between Green and Lee was contentious. After the breakup, Bayette and Lee continued their relationship. San Mateo County Sheriffs led the investigation into Green's death, with assistance from the Sonoma County Sheriff's Office. Investigators quickly began interviewing people who were close with Green to trace his activity in the hours leading up to the time he went missing on April 29th. Law enforcement found out that the evening prior to his disappearance, Green had made plans to meet with his ex-girlfriend, Tiffany Lee, to talk about custody arrangements for their two daughters. Green was reportedly last seen around 10 p.m. on April 28th at the Milbray Pancake House. The Pancake House was located very near to Green's house, so he walked there that night. For unknown reasons, he left his wallet at home. This would be the last time Green was seen alive. He never returned home after that meeting. The following day, Green's cell phone was discovered by a hiker about 15 miles away from the Pancake House. Days later, Green's body would be found in another location. Tiffany Lee was born in Beijing, China on August 28, 1985. In 1992, she moved to Silicon Valley, California, along with her mother, stepfather, and younger brother. In 2000, she became a naturalized U.S. citizen. Tiffany's mother and stepfather were extremely wealthy, and she was the heiress to their multi-million dollar estate. Her mother and stepfather's real estate portfolio included two skyscrapers in Beijing, properties in the Cayman Islands and St. Kitts in the Caribbean, and multiple properties in the San Francisco Bay Area. Growing up, 
Lee attended numerous prestigious private schools and eventually earned a master's degree in business from the University of San Francisco. After college, Lee was employed by her mother and stepfather and tasked with managing their real estate properties. For this, they paid her an annual salary of $100,000. Many who knew Lee thought of her as being prone to getting cosmetic surgery and someone who enjoyed living a flashy lifestyle. As investigators continued looking into Green's death, a narrative began to unfold exposing a very bitter breakup and custody battle between Green and Lee. After their breakup, in a written agreement which she drafted, Lee offered Green a lump sum payment of $20,000, monthly payments of $4,000, and a Range Rover. Lee requested that he move out of the mansion and asked Green to agree to everything in the written agreement, but he refused. Green's refusal to sign the agreement made Lee very angry, and she began telling friends that he was not interested in their children. He was only motivated by money. The investigation uncovered text messages between the former couple. In some of the messages, Green asked Lee to give him her brand new BMW, $20,000 to buy household items, and monthly payments of $4,000. According to a 2019 Washington Post article by Megan Flynn, Green told Lee in a text message that he wanted to create a life that is parallel to yours with the kids. On April 1st of 2016, about a month before Green went missing, Lee sent a screenshot of his text message to her boyfriend, Kave Bayette, and another man named Oliver Adela. Adela, with his six-foot-five muscular frame, was a mixed martial arts fighter who sometimes worked as Lee and Bayette's bodyguard and personal trainer. According to a 2019 Washington Post article by Megan Flynn, after receiving the screenshot of text messages from Lee, Bayette, referring to Green, replied, He was trying to work you for money again. That's all he wants. It's not about the kids. Lee responded to Bayette simply saying, Green light. Lee's ominous text message to Bayette would be scrutinized by investigators who came up with a theory regarding what she meant by those two words. Mitri Hananaya, Green's attorney in a previous legal matter with Lee, said that at the time he represented him, Green and Lee were not getting along at all. He said that Lee had accused Green of stealing her vehicle and she reported it to police. Lee then asked Green to meet her at a local Starbucks where, unbeknownst to Green, she had police waiting to arrest him for auto theft. Subsequent to that incident, Lee sent Green a text message admitting that she had filed a false police report regarding the car theft. Due to that text message, Lee's case against Green was tossed out. According to a 2016 East Bay Times article by Aaron Kinney, a friend of Green's who remained anonymous, indicated that because of the state of his relationship with Lee, Green was afraid for his life. The friend said, he told everyone, everyone in his life knew he was afraid. As the investigation continued, investigators uncovered burner phones and additional text messages between Lee, Bayette, Adela, and Adela's wife, Uda Bredenstein. On May 4th, while Green was still considered a missing person, Lee was interviewed by detectives with the San Mateo Sheriff's Office. The meeting came about after San Mateo detectives received word from Hillsborough PD that Lee had sent them an email. In her email, Lee asked how she could go about searching for Green. She wrote in her email that initially, she believed that Green left on his own accord and that he may be trying to scam her. Now, she said, she believed that he may be the victim of something more serious, like foul play. She asked Hillsborough PD how she might get in contact with a billboard company so she could get more attention to help find Green. In her interview with San Mateo detectives, Lee said that she and Green met at the Millbury Pancake House between 9.15 and 10.15 p.m. on April 28th of 2016, the evening before he was reported missing. She said they met in the parking lot and sat inside of her Mercedes-Benz to talk about custody of their two daughters. During their conversation, 
Lee told detectives that Green said he still loved her and wanted to get back together. She said he told her about his plans to move back to Ohio, where his grandmother lived. Lee said that after they were done talking, Green exited her vehicle and she began driving to her house, going south on El Camino Real. Footage from a traffic surveillance camera corroborated Lee's statement that she headed toward her house after the meeting with Green. The traffic camera, however, also showed that a 2005 Chrysler 300 followed Lee out of the parking lot and toward her house. The Chrysler 300 belonged to Oliver Adela, the personal trainer who had been trading text messages with Bayette and Lee leading up to the day that Green went missing. Investigators found out that Adela traded in the Chrysler 300 just days after he was caught on surveillance footage following Lee out of the Pancake House parking lot. Detectives caught up with the new owners of the vehicle, and they reported that it smelled like Windex and bleach. As detectives progressed into their questioning of Lee, they informed her that they had tracked the precise locations of Green's cell phone the night he was last seen. At this time, Detective Gabby Chigori dropped a bomb on Lee. Chigori told her that records showed that Green's cell phone was with her as she drove toward her house on El Camino Real, and the phone ended up at her house. Lee was rattled. According to a 2019 ABC7news.com article by Ed Walsh, Lee said to the detective, At my house? Okay. Like you mean together with me? Detectives were able to tell that Green's cell phone had connected to a Wi-Fi network at Lee's house that night. Chigori told Lee that records showed the cell phone traveled from the Pancake House to her house. Then, it traveled to another residence at 1800 Trousdale, which was owned by Lee. At the time, a man named Vu Ho was renting the home on Trousdale from Lee. More on Vu Ho later. After gathering herself, Lee provided detectives with a reason for going to Vu's house after she met with Green. She said she went there to collect his rent check. When detectives told her it did not look good for her that Green's cell phone was with her that entire night, Lee had no explanation. She told detectives that she didn't know why their records showed Green's cell phone was with her. When detectives asked her whether she would ever hurt Green, she said no, but offered names of other people who might. Lee told detectives that Green may have had an affair with a woman in Las Vegas and that her husband may have wanted to harm him as a result. She said that a friend of Green's may have wanted revenge after he was beaten up in Las Vegas and Green didn't back him up. Lee also said that Green had promised $50,000 to a man named Johnny to partner with him on a new clothing company. When Green told Johnny that he wasn't going to give him the money after all, Lee said Johnny was very angry and may have wanted to harm him. Lastly, Lee told detectives that Green had debts with a motorcycle gang and they could have gone after him. Detectives then turned their attention to custody and money issues Lee had with Green. Lee explained to them that Green tried to turn over his custody rights to their daughters in exchange for $40 million, $20 million for each child. According to a 2019 KRON4.com article by Amy Larson, Lee said about Green, When we first broke up, he asked each kid $20 million. He asked my mom, and my mom's like, you're ridiculous. That said, Lee was not able to provide detectives anything to back up this statement. She said later, Green greatly reduced his financial request, however, Contention between the two of them was at its peak, and she wanted to cut him off financially. On May 20th, law enforcement caught up with Uta Bredenstein, Adela's wife. Bredenstein had been involved in some of the group text messages between Lee, Bayette, and Adela. Law enforcement pulled her over and they were able to get their hands on Adela's fast-track transponder. Records from the transponder showed that on April 29th, around 3.30 in the morning, the unit had traveled over the Golden Gate Bridge, 
heading south. This was the morning after Green was last seen. The area and direction the fast-track transponder had traveled lined up with someone going home from the location where Green's body was discovered. Based on everything they uncovered, detectives secured two search warrants. On Friday, May 27th of 2016, one month after Green went missing, detectives served Oliver Adela and his wife, Uta Bredenstein, with the first search warrant. At their apartment in Burlingame, California, detectives found $35,000 in cash. They also found Keith Green's Diamond Cartier watch. The items were found inside of a lunchbox. After the search was conducted, detectives arrested 40-year-old Oliver Adela on suspicion of murder and conspiracy to commit murder. He was taken in for booking at Redwood City Jail. The following day, early in the morning, detectives served a second search warrant to Tiffany Lee and Kavay Bayette at Lee's mansion in Hillsborough. At the lavish home, detectives found a magazine which was loaded with 22 caliber bullets, as well as a gun lock. However, no guns were found. Inside Lee's garage, gunshot residue was found. Inside the house, blood was found in two different areas. Lee and Bayette were both arrested and taken in for booking at Redwood City Jail. All three suspects were held without bail. After Green's death and Lee's subsequent arrest, both of their mothers wanted custody of their granddaughters. Green's mother, Colleen Cudd, would have her request for custody approved, while Lee's mother, Jihong Lee, was denied custody. At some point, however, both grandmothers ended up sharing legal custody of the girls while their mother was incarcerated. After almost a year spent in jail, Tiffany Lee's case made national news after she posted bail. Her bail was the eighth highest ever posted in the United States. With help from family and friends, Lee posted bail totaling $4 million in cash and real estate valued at $62 million. In California, real estate can be posted as collateral for bail as long as the real estate is valued at twice the amount of the bail. After she was released, Lee had an ankle monitor attached and was placed on house arrest. It was feared that she may flee to China. Green's mother, Colleen Cudd, filed a civil lawsuit against Lee, Bayette, and Adela in March of 2018. She was seeking punitive and compensatory damages on behalf of her son's estate and his daughters. Lee, who had previously been ordered not to have any contact with her daughters, at some point was granted supervised visitation with them. While Lee was out on bail, her boyfriend, Kaveh Bayette, remained behind bars as he couldn't come up with the $35 million to post bail. Almost two years after his arrest, Oliver Adela accepted a plea deal in exchange for his testimony against Lee and Bayette. In February of 2018, Adela entered a no-contest plea to accessory after the fact for the disposal of Green's body. As part of the plea deal, the murder charge against Adela was dropped he would end up serving a total of about three years in prison. In October of 2018, Adela was released from prison. Numerous delays pushed Lee and Bayette's trial date out further than expected. Their attorneys argued to have them tried separately, but the judge denied their motions. In August of 2018, the trial was delayed due to another murder case being tried at the same time as Lee and Bayette's trial was scheduled to take place. Given this, their trial was pushed back five months. Then, in early 2019, the trial was delayed again when the defendant's attorneys requested it be postponed again for medical reasons. During this time, Tiffany Lee was diagnosed with breast cancer and had to have two surgeries and chemotherapy before she was able to stand trial. In September of 2019, more than three years after Green's murder, Lee and Bayette's trial began, although it would quickly be delayed again. At the beginning of trial, the prosecution came to learn that their star witness, Oliver Adela, had violated the terms of their plea agreement. As part of the deal, Adela was not allowed to contact any of the witnesses, and that included Uta Bredenstein, who was now his ex-wife. 
after learning that Adela, through Instagram, had contacted Bredenstein, a defense witness, the prosecution requested that Adela be placed back in jail and the plea deal rescinded. These requests were granted by the judge, and with that, Adela was placed back into custody. And again, he faced the possibility of being charged with murder. Believing that Adela's testimony would no longer be credible, the prosecution removed him from their witness list. They would have to try the case without his testimony against Lee and Bayette. I love a good hack, so here's one to try for all of the ladies working from home during this time. If you're trying to get motivated to start your workday from home, consider getting out of your PJs and putting on Beta Brand's Dress Pant Yoga Pants. They look profesh and cute, but they're just as comfortable as your jammies. I've been raving about my Beta Brand pants because they never wrinkle, even when you wear them all day. I used to always adjust my old work pants because they were ill-fitted and uncomfortable. With Beta Brand's pants, I feel like I could do endless cartwheels and somersaults without ever having to adjust my pants. They are that comfortable. But make no mistake, Beta Brand's pants are not yoga pants. They are dress pants that feel like yoga pants, but look like a million bucks. Beta Brand has new styles on their website every week, and there is a fit and color for everyone. Right now, our listeners can get 25% off their first order when you go to betabrand.com slash murderish. That's 25% off your first order for a limited time at betabrand.com slash murderish. Find out why millions of women are buying five different pairs of these pants. Go to betabrand.com slash murderish for 25% off. When my husband puts on manly TV shows, I play best fiends to solve my boredom. Oh, and about my husband, he is a sucker for games he can play on his phone. He recently started playing Best Fiends, and it's been a great tool to help him unwind after work. Best Fiends is a unique puzzle game that doesn't require internet access, so I never skip a beat when the Wi-Fi goes out at my house. Now that I've been playing for a while, I've collected so many cute characters, and I love that the game is updated monthly with new levels and events. When I first started playing, I was really competitive, but lately, I find myself playing Best Fiends more casually to get my mind off of daily stressors. Best Fiends has thousands of levels already, with new levels, events, and characters added every month. It's hours of fun right at your fingertips, and you can even play offline. With over 100 million downloads and tons of five-star reviews, Best Fiends is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. If you've ever been in an auto accident before, your first concern is whether you or anyone else were injured. Then, you begin to stress on how much this thing is going to cost you. That's where Endurance Warranty comes in. With total vehicle protection, Endurance takes away the stress of worrying about how you're going to pay for auto repairs. Consumer Affairs rated Endurance number one vehicle protection plan, and let me tell you how they've earned that spot. With an Endurance subscription, you get an auto advocate who will negotiate on your behalf to get the lowest possible repair rates. No need to haggle on your own with auto mechanics. And right now, Endurance is offering their elite membership with every subscription, which means you get tire repair, key fob replacements, a personal concierge, and 24-7 roadside assistance. Protect yourself from high auto repair costs now with Endurance. For more information about Endurance's vehicle protection plans, visit endurancenow.com murderish. That's endurancenow.com murderish. Opening statements were finally given on September 23rd of 2019 in San Mateo Superior Court in downtown Redwood City. Presiding over the trial of Tiffany Lee and Kaveh Bayette was Judge Robert Foyles. In front of a 16-person jury, including alternates, Deputy District Attorney Brian Abonto said that he would be presenting a case that included a lot of cell phone evidence including text messages that would prove a pattern of lies and deception from Lee and Bayette. This, according to a 2019 ABC7news.com article by Chris Reyes. 
Abonto laid out for the jury a description of Green and Lee's relationship, which was, according to him, full of arguing, anger, and greed. According to a 2019 South China Morning Post article via the Associated Press, Abonto said about their relationship, as he kept asking for money, she got angry. She told her friends he's just about the money, not about the kids. Abonto theorized that Lee wanted Green gone because she was sick of him demanding money and asking for more time with their children. Abonto then laid out a theory of what happened the night Green was murdered. He told the jury that Lee was able to convince Green to go to her house after they met at the Pancake House, where Bayette was waiting for him. This, according to Abonto, was all part of a plan that Lee, Bayette, and Adela had been discussing in the days leading up to Green's murder. He said that when Lee arrived at her house with Green, she got him into her garage, where Bayette shot him in the mouth, killing him instantly. Abonto said that together, Lee and Bayette put Green's lifeless body in the front passenger seat of her Mercedes-Benz SUV. Abonto said that Lee got into the driver's seat and Bayette got into the back seat, sitting directly behind Green's body so he could hold it upright as Lee drove to Adela's apartment. When they arrived at Adela's apartment, according to Abonto, Bayette ordered Adela to get rid of the body. Abonto told the jury that Bayette and Adela removed all of Green's clothing, except for his socks, and put his body into the trunk of Adela's Chrysler 300. Abonto said that Adela then transported Green's body across the Golden Gate Bridge as he traveled north. Abonto said that Adela drove about 70 miles away from his apartment and disposed of Green's body in a field off of Highway 101. Records from Adela's fast-track transponder corroborated this portion of the prosecution's theory. Abonto said that he would show the jury evidence that linked Lee and Bayette to the crime, such as gunshot residue that was found in Lee's garage and Bayette's DNA, which was found on a gun magazine. He said that Green's blood was found inside of Lee's Mercedes and inside of Adela's Chrysler 300. Abonto also mentioned the $35,000 in cash and Green's watch, which were found inside of a lunchbox in Adela's apartment. Abonto told the jury that Lee and Bayette tried to cover up the murder by creating erroneous alibis. While the prosecution presented a theory that Lee, Bayette, and Adela all conspired to murder Keith Green, Lee and Bayette's separate defense teams told the jury they would prove that Adela murdered Green with no involvement from Lee or Bayette. Lee's defense team said that she and Green had come to an agreement regarding custody of their children 10 days before Green was reported missing. The defense downplayed the reportedly volatile relationship between them. To demonstrate this, the defense played for the jury a recorded phone conversation in which jurors heard Lee offering to fly the girls to visit Green if he ended up moving to Ohio, as he had mentioned. Lee's defense attorney, May Marr, explained to the jury that the state's case hinged mostly on circumstantial evidence and that law enforcement ignored evidence that pointed to Adela as being the murderer, such as Green's blood which was found in the parking lot of Adela's apartment. Marr spent three hours reading aloud text messages between Adela and two of his friends. Marr said that with these two friends, Adela planned and carried out Green's murder. Perhaps in an effort to evoke emotion from the jury, D.A. Abonto displayed graphic images of the crime scene that showed Green's extremely decomposed body lying in a field. His arms and legs were spread out, and animals had partially eaten his body. People in the courtroom gallery became emotional after seeing these photos. While Bayette stared at the photos the entire time they were on display, Lee never looked at them. Colleen Cudd testified for the prosecution, saying on the stand what her last words were to her son on the evening of April 28th of 2016. Cudd said that after Green told her he was going to meet with Lee that night, she warned him that it was best to meet up in a public place. Cudd's testimony was aimed to show the jury that she didn't trust Lee and believed that her son may be in danger if he met with her in a private place. On the stand, 
Cud indicated that she had not visited Lee's mansion since her granddaughter's birthday party in 2015, which demonstrated that the two of them did not have a positive relationship. On cross-examination, the defense brought up that Lee brought her daughters to visit Cud in a central location just a few days before Green went missing. This was an attempt by the defense to show that there were no custody issues between Green and Lee. The prosecution called San Mateo County Sheriff's Detective Gabby Chigori to the stand to testify regarding the traffic surveillance footage. The footage showed Adela's vehicle following Lee's out of the Pancake House parking lot. According to statements from Oliver Adela, Lee had asked him to watch her as she met with Green that night. Adela told investigators that also at Lee's request, he followed her as she left the meeting, with Green still inside of her car. Adela said he followed them for a brief period as they drove toward her house and then he drove home. The defense, however, spun Adela's statement, saying that this actually could show that Green was inside of Adela's vehicle at the time, not Lee's, and that the two of them drove in the direction of Lee's home. Detective Chikori testified that on the night Green went missing, his cell phone connected to Lee's Wi-Fi network, indicating that he and or his cell phone were at her house that night. The defense, however, argued that the Wi-Fi signal was strong enough to connect to Green's phone, even if he was close enough to Lee's house but not actually at the house. Under the defense's theory, Adela could have driven near Lee's house with Green inside his vehicle and his cell phone could connect to her Wi-Fi. A mutual friend of Green and Lee's named Valerie Goodwin testified for the prosecution. On the stand, Goodwin said that she often found herself in the middle of arguments between Green and Lee. She said that on the evening that Green went missing, she met with Lee over dinner around 6 or 6.30 p.m. Goodwin said that during dinner, Lee told her that she and Green were going to meet up later that evening. Around 10 p.m., Goodwin said she received a phone call from Lee, who told her that when she met with Green, he tried to kiss her and said he still wanted to be with her. According to Goodwin's testimony, Lee said that after their meeting at the Pancake House, she drove away while Green was still in the parking lot. Detective Sergeant John Carroll testified for the prosecution and spoke about Lee's lack of emotion when she learned of Green's death. Carol said that when Lee was informed that he was found dead, she never asked how he died and did not express any concern regarding how she was going to deliver the news to their daughters. Carol said on the stand that he believed Lee's text message to Bayette saying green light meant that she was confirming that they were going to carry out their plan to kill Green. The defense, however, argued that this text message simply meant that she and Bayette should begin completing child custody documents. Vu Ho, a previous co-worker of Lee's, testified for the prosecution. At the time of the murder, Ho was renting an apartment from Lee. On the stand, Ho said that previous to this time, he had always sent his rent checks to Lee through the mail. On the night that Green went missing, however, Ho said that Lee suddenly told him that she would come by his apartment to pick up the rent check. He said that around 11.30 that night, Lee and Bayette arrived and told him that they had been out on the town later than planned in San Francisco. The prosecution was demonstrating that Lee and Bayette created an erroneous alibi for themselves by picking up the rent check in person from Ho and telling him that they had been in San Francisco that evening. The complex where Ho rented an apartment from Lee was also where Adela and his wife lived. The prosecution argued that by traveling to Ho's apartment that night, Lee and Bayette were creating a reason for being at Adela's apartment complex. Although the jury was aware that Adela pleaded guilty to disposing of Green's body, they would not hear testimony from him given that the prosecution removed him from the witness list. D.A. Abanto did present to the jury excerpts from Adela's interview with detectives. The defense, however, pointed out that Adela's statements were deemed not to be credible and therefore should not be considered factual testimony. According to testimony from detectives, Adela said in his interview that Lee and Bayette arrived at his apartment with Green's body inside of Lee's Mercedes. 
Detectives said that Adela told them he agreed to dispose of the body after Lee and Bayette offered him $35,000 to, in their words, take out the trash. Adela said that he, along with Lee and Bayette, lifted Green's body into the trunk of his car, and then he traveled to a field in Sonoma County where he disposed of Green's body. D.A. Abanto read aloud text messages between Lee and Bayette in which Lee said to Bayette that they should watch the true crime TV series How to Get Away with Murder. Abanto suggested to the jury that this text message, along with other evidence he had presented, showed that the two defendants planned Green's murder well in advance. The defense downplayed this text message, telling the jury that Lee often watched the TV show in a tattoo parlor she frequented. Although the defense said in their opening statement that the state's case largely hinged on circumstantial evidence, the prosecution did present scientific evidence to prove their case. Abanto presented evidence of gunshot residue and Green's DNA, both of which were found on a table and on a golf bag in Lee's garage. He also entered into evidence bloodstains found on the ground in Lee's garage as well as blood found in two sinks inside of Lee's house. Bayette's DNA was found on gun magazines, which Abanto said showed advanced preparation for Bayette to kill Green. Although no guns were found during the investigation, Abanto told the jury that two gun locks were found at Lee's house. In addition to all of this, Abanto explained that Green's blood was discovered on the running board of Lee's Mercedes. Abanto said to the jury that Lee and Bayette had thoroughly cleaned her car after the murder, which is why no blood was found on the inside of Lee's SUV. The evening of the murder, Abanto said that Bayette communicated with Adela using a burner phone in order to plan out the disposal of Green's body. The defense called forensic scientist Chris Coleman to the stand. Coleman spoke about noise tests he conducted at Lee's house as well as the analysis of gunshot residue found in her garage. Coleman, who had over two decades of experience, discredited the investigation into Green's murder, saying that he would have done a much more thorough job of analyzing the garage. He said that instead of analyzing just one stain found on the floor, he would have analyzed the entire garage floor to get a more accurate picture of what may or may not have happened. Coleman testified about a noise test he performed at Lee's residence, during which he shot three different caliber firearms while standing in the garage. Coleman said that the gunshots could be heard from people inside the house and people standing in the street near Lee's house. This, despite the fact that nobody came forward during the investigation to say that they heard gunshots near Lee's home the night of the murder. The defense was also quick to say that while the prosecution alleged that the shooting took place in Lee's garage, none of Green's blood was found there. The defense called into question portions of Dr. Chapman's testimony regarding the autopsy. In his testimony, Dr. Chapman said that Green died from a single gunshot to the mouth. The defense brought forth statements from a contract pathologist who had reviewed the crime scene photos. The defense told the jury that the pathologist with whom they consulted said that Green's body was in such an advanced state of decomposition and deterioration that a cause of death could not be determined. Then, the defense introduced to the jury another possible manner of death. They said that given the pathologist's statements, it's possible that Green died from strangulation or some other means. The defense called to the stand a witness who they believed could corroborate their theory that Adela murdered Green without any direction from Lee or Bayette. Charles Kaleha, who lived in an area not far from where Green's body was found, was called by the defense to testify. The defense asked Kaleha numerous questions, but he never answered a single one of them, invoking his Fifth Amendment right each time a question was asked. The defense argued that through the use of burner phones, Adela planned Green's murder with Kaleha and another man by the name of Naveen Shawasto. The defense said there was no evidence to connect Bayette to any of the conversations. The defense then requested from the jury to contemplate the possibility that Lee and Bayette had nothing to do with Green's murder and that Adela could have acted with these two other men to carry out the crime. 
More than a month after opening statements were given on October 25th of 2019, each side reiterated their case for the jury during closing arguments. The defense made sure to remind jurors that it's the prosecution's burden to prove their case beyond a reasonable doubt. Lee faced a prison sentence of 26 years to life if convicted of murder and conspiracy to commit murder. Bayette faced a more harsh punishment. If convicted, he was looking at spending 50 years to life behind bars for murder, conspiracy, and an enhanced charge of use of a firearm. After deliberating for 12 days, the jury made up of four men and eight women reached a verdict. On Friday, November 15th of 2019, Tiffany Lee was found not guilty. At first, she was emotionless, but finally, Lee lowered her head and began to cry. As she left the courtroom a free woman, Lee's mother and Green's mother could be seen crying. As reporters scurried to get a statement from Lee, she walked quickly out of the courthouse without making any statements. Lee's attorney, Jeffrey Carr, said afterward that Lee planned to go to China and work toward bettering herself. After all was said and done, the jury found the prosecution's case against Lee to be highly circumstantial and didn't believe they had proven her guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. The jury took more time that day to continue deliberating on Bayette's case. By the afternoon, however, the jury announced that they were deadlocked 6-6 to on his murder charge and 7-5 to on the charge of conspiracy. A hearing was scheduled for a later date, at which time a date will be determined for Kaveh Bayette's retrial. Bayette was returned to custody to await his retrial. A little more than a month later, on December 19th, the San Mateo County DA's office announced that they were dropping all charges against Kaveh Bayette. Due to the jury's split decision, District Attorney Steve Wagnafi didn't feel confident they could present any new evidence to prove their case to a jury. Green's family and friends were furious at the thought of Bayette walking free. According to a 2019 SFIST.com article by Jay Barman, someone close to Green said about Bayette, I don't think anybody wants to be in that courtroom and look at that dirt bag and watch his smiling face as he gets told he gets to go home. Although the jury did not convict Lee or Bayette, one juror came forward and said to a reporter while crying, I just think there are two murderers who are free today, and it feels like we didn't do our job well enough in some way. The juror also indicated to the reporter that they would just have to rely on karma for justice. While Lee and Bayette had walked free, Oliver Adela remained behind bars after he violated the terms of his plea deal. He awaited a potential trial for his suspected involvement in Green's murder. In January of 2020, however, D.A. Wagnafi announced that all charges against Adela were being dropped, citing that Lee had been acquitted and they did not have sufficient evidence to get a guilty verdict for Bayette. Wagnafi believed their case against Adela also lacked sufficient evidence. Adela was scheduled to be released on January 10th of 2020, but his past would catch up to him. Just as Adela took his first steps of freedom, agents from Homeland Security swiftly took him into custody. As it turned out, Adela was living in the U.S. under a false name. Adela, whose real name is Mustafa Traore, was arrested and charged with passport fraud. Traore had always claimed to be from France, but federal agents learned that he was actually from the Ivory Coast in Africa. Agents claimed that Traore had stolen the birth date and name of a man named Oliver Adela, who was from France. Traore then used the stolen name and birth date to get a U.S. passport and U.S. immigration status. Agents uncovered multiple names used illegally by Traore and found out that he was a small-scale swindler. Through a tip from one of the investigators hired by Lee or Bayette's defense team, agents were made aware that Adela may not be who he claimed to be. Through their investigation into Adela's potential passport fraud, federal agents also uncovered more damning evidence against him that showed he was likely involved in Green's murder. Agents found out that Traore, then known as Adela, 
had used a burner phone to contact Keith Green just a few days before he was murdered. In his contact with Green, Traore claimed to be a professional football player and said to him, on the night that Green was murdered, that the two of them should meet up. In San Francisco, a grand jury would indict Traore on charges of making false statements on a passport application, illegally using a false French passport to enter the U.S., and fraudulently obtaining a naturalization certificate. Today, Traore faces a decade in prison and deportation if he's convicted. As of now, Traore says he will plead guilty to passport fraud, but he continues to deny any involvement in Green's murder. Traore's case is still active, however. It's been delayed due to the current COVID-19 pandemic and subsequent court closures. Today, as of the current date, nobody stands accused of Keith Green's murder, and it's unlikely anyone else will be tried for the crime. Green's mother's civil case against Lee, Bayette, and Traore is still ongoing today, with hearings scheduled to take place in April and June of this year. Due to the pandemic, however, the civil case is likely to be delayed. At last known report, Green and Lee's mothers were sharing custody of their two granddaughters. With Tiffany Lee being a free woman now, it's unknown whether she has regained custody of her children. Sadly, no justice has been served for the person or persons responsible for ending Keith Green's life. Thanks again for joining me on this episode of Murderish. Head over to the Murderish Facebook discussion group where we can talk about this case. You can also find me on Twitter at MurderishPod and on Instagram at MurderishPodcast. If you like the show, hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening now and tell a friend about Murderish. I'd love for you to leave the show a review in your favorite podcast app. If you want more information about the show or me, go to Murderish.com. On the website, you can sign up to support the show through Patreon and have some of your dollars donated to the Cold Case Investigative Research Institute. The website also has a link to buy Murderish t-shirts and other merchandise. That's Murderish.com. Murderish is mixed and mastered by John and Jessica Buchanis of Audio Editing Solutions. Music is by Nico of We Talk of Dreams. This episode was researched by Gina Mazzolini and written by me. In order to tell true crime stories on this show, information is gathered from various sources, including, but not limited to, news articles, newspaper archives, blogs, social media, TV productions, police reports, court records, books, magazine articles, direct interviews, and more. I recognize that oftentimes someone before me put in a lot of time and effort to gather the information I draw from to help tell these stories. Thank you to those individuals for their hard work. Sources for this episode can be found at Murderish.com. As always, Ishers, thank you for joining me on another episode of Murderish. And remember, listening to this podcast doesn't make you a murderer. It just means you're murder-ish. It's estimated that at any given time, there are 90,000 missing persons, and that's just in the United States. Imagine if your loved one went missing. Is there anything that you wouldn't do to try and find them? Would you cross oceans, spend your life savings, continually retrace their last known steps, just hoping something jumped out at you? This is Missing Persons, a brand new podcast, and I'm your host, Mike Morford. If you're a true crime podcast fan, you might recognize me from some of my other podcasts, including Criminology, Three Men in a Mystery, and The Murder of My Family. The most important part of hosting a podcast for me is advocating for the cases and the victims I discuss, as well as their families. I've been approached by so many people with a missing loved one asking me if I could help them in any way. And if it was my loved one that was missing, I'd want someone to help me too, so I couldn't say no. And this podcast, Missing Persons, is the result of me wanting to help. 
In every episode of Missing Persons, you'll hear about a person who disappeared and currently remains missing. In some cases, there are clues to follow and leads to check on. In other cases, it's as if the person just vanished off the face of the earth. And in each episode, you'll hear from someone who's searching for that missing person. And whether they've been looking for 30 days or 30 years, the pain of not knowing what happened to their loved one is real. And the search for answers, a painful one. Missing Persons officially launches in March 2020. Will you join me and become part of the search for answers in these cases? If so, search for and subscribe to Missing Persons right now, wherever you listen to podcasts, so you don't miss an episode. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.